give away cash we don't give away new cars vacations to las vegas or cruises to alaska we deal in a commodity that's much more valuable we deal in the truth and we give it away in bulk without strings without terms and conditions and at no cost to you and how do we do it we make it up in volume we're tnn the truth news network and your host is dan newman actually had a conversation about that very thing this morning, six o'clock prayer. Truth. Is it your truth or my truth? Or is it just plain, it's the truth? (laughs) Or it's not true at all? That's a question we're going to be answering. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Monday edition, yep, day before the official July 4th holiday. But we thankfully, as a nation, we've been celebrating all weekend long. People started on Friday saying, Happy Fourth of July. And that's a good thing to say year-round, to be honest with you, because that's the day we celebrate the beginning of our independence from any other country. And this particular one was England. We declared our liberty That's an amazing thing. And since 1776, when our forefathers penned that Declaration of Independence, we declared we're a free nation. We've been free, on the most part, with some strings here and there, some attacks here and there. But we have been, and we are a free nation. Now, it's not a perfect freedom We work on that. We are far more free today than we were that day back in 1776. We still got some work to do. And guess what? We, the people, are working on that. And it's a continuation. It's a project that we'll probably never perfect. But part of the goodness is that we have the ability, the permission, and the availability to pursue and continue to pursue more and more freedom. Well, I've got some good news for you, and let me just say this. The question I'm asked more than any other question, all fair, is who's really running the nation? Who is really running it? It can't be Joe Biden. There are too many things, specific things that are being done at his behest, and he's not that quick. Somebody else is doing it. Well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you who it is. Oh, and it is a who. You don't want to miss this. In fact, call somebody. Tell them to get on the show right now. After this song, we're going to do just that. Oh, the more I get, I feel stranger. 
There's so much you can say You remain my power, my pleasure, my pain Won't you tell me is that healthy, babe? Did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a light, and the light that you shine can't be seen? So much a man can tell me, so much he can say. You remain my power, my pleasure, my pain. To me, you're like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me is a healthy baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a light and the light that you shine can't be seen. last week 
We had some good times and we were able to keep up with some of the crazy stuff that's going on. And so the question keeps piling up. More and more people are saying, who is really president of the United States? And it's not. It's not Joe. Nope. I'm going to tell you who it is. But it isn't Joe. He is the fourth, 40, excuse me, 46th president of the United States. And he enjoys all the benefits of being president. Gets to travel on Air Force One, has around-the-clock Secret Service protection. He assumed the office after a very controversial and contested election, employing a basement campaign strategy. Few events and even fewer media interviews. But since his inauguration, his mental and his physical condition have seriously deteriorated. With his declining health, it's inconceivable that Joe Biden can serve as president until he's 86 years old. However, when you ask him about his age and the concerns of Americans, Biden usually says, watch me. Yeah, Mr. President, that's exactly what we've been doing. We are watching. And that's why millions of Americans are horrified about a physically weakened and mentally incompetent president. I said the I word. Joe Biden is mentally incompetent. And he's doing all of this while he's serving in the most important office in the world. Every American can clearly see there is something wrong with Joe Biden. A recent NBC News poll, not Fox News, NBC News, their poll showed that an astounding 70% of all voters have concerns about Biden having the necessary mental and physical health to serve as president of the United States. That's right now. Among all poll respondents, 55% say that their concerns about Biden's conditions are major. What evidence is there, Dan? Well, the evidence of his problems, it's plain for all of us to see and everybody around the world for that matter. Biden often seems lost after he finishes speeches and needs help exiting the stage. In a recent MSNBC interview, he bizarrely walked away before the host could even end the segment. His stories about his background and his family life have become so preposterous that Americans know he's lying. Whether he believes these whoppers or not is a legitimate question since he has a long, very documented history of telling outright lies and even committing plagiarism. One of his runs for president, he had to bow out after it was revealed he had dramatically plagiarized great speakers in his past. However, occasionally, the truth does come out. And Biden makes a curious comment every now and then. For example, he'll claim that he cannot answer questions or mention something because he's worried about being scolded by a mysterious individual or maybe a group. At a recent speech to the League of Conservative Voters, Biden talked about building a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. Of course, this was another misstatement, for it referred to building a railroad across the continent of Africa. (laughs) 
Biden concluded his remarks by claiming, I could go on, but I'm not. I'm going off script, and I'm going to get in trouble. No wonder his staff doesn't want him going off script. When he does, every time, the results are ugly. Outside the White House, while briefing and talking very briefly with reporters before leaving a Marine one, Biden screamed, no, when asked about his involvement in his son's shady business deals. How many times have you heard that response? This is why Biden conducts just a sparse few press conferences. And when he does submit to questions, he calls on a list of pre-approved reporters his staff has prepared, and you know he's already heard the questions, and they already gave him the answers. And he still messes it up. Isn't this the guy, Joe Biden, who's president of the United States? If so, why is he worried about getting in trouble? Who has this kind of influence over the most powerful person in the world? You might remember a year or so ago, Tucker Carlson stated in a Sky News Australia interview, Biden is merely a proxy for the people running the government the faceless, diabolical figures that are driving us into the abyss, they benefited greatly from having a senile president. That's a direct quote from Tucker Carlson in 2022. So who are these diabolical figures who control Joe Biden? Well, one of the first influential and the most probably is the first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. She is the one who initially vouched for his health as a 2020 presidential candidate. She's the one who continually whispers in his ear what to say, guides him off the stage and through crowds at events. She must be giving him some type of care when the cameras are off. Without her approval, Biden would be dismissed as unfit for the presidency, so her role is pretty darn big. And then on the political side, one figure looms large. Biden's former boss, Barack Obama. Tuesday of this past week, Obama and Biden had lunch at the White House. At a fundraiser in New York, Biden joked that when he hears hail to the chief, he looks around for Obama. At that same event, he admitted that Obama had been helping out a lot. Obama had his key aide, you know who she is, Susan Rice, and const in a key White House position for the first two years of the Biden presidency. As he attempts to run for re-election, Biden will be relying even more on Barack. So unlike Biden, Obama's still physically and mentally active. He is still incredibly involved in political issues, and he wants to see the far-left agenda, his far-left agenda, implemented. He knows that if Trump is elected again as president, his legacy will be further destroyed. In a December 2020 CBS interview, Obama revealed his preference for a third term in which this is what he said. He would be in control in his basement, but his lackey would wear an earpiece and deliver the lines written by Obama. Unfortunately for Obama, Biden can't deliver the lines very well. 
but you and I know he sure can follow orders, <laughs> at least try to. So there you have it. I told you the truth. I am now convinced Barack Obama is running this government. And by the way, Joe Biden is simply a placeholder for who's going to be there next. At least that's what the Obama Democrat Party is hoping for. Who's it going to be next? It certainly won't be Joe Biden. The die is not cast yet, but I feel strongly, I don't know if it'll ever happen, and if if it does happen, I don't know that it will ever be successful, but I am almost positive now. This Democrat Party is doing everything it can do to get the California governor in the right place to take over in the next term. Gavin Newsom? I don't think he's qualified, but I do know this. He's always in his political career, he's been owing to other people for his success at getting to the spots he's been in. So who's to say if he became president, he would just say, okay, I don't want all the dirty stuff. Y'all tell me what to say and what to do. I'm going to do it. I just want the good, fun things that go along with living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I can dig that. Oh, yeah. I can go to any restaurant I want to whenever I want to. (laughs) And I don't have to worry about anybody messing with me. Look, they didn't catch Joe Biden. Why would I think they would catch me? I'm just joking, but I'm really not. (laughs) Welcome to TNN Live. This week, it's going to be a short week. Why? Tomorrow, July 4th, we will not have a show. We'll be back. We are back in our studios in Louisiana. Feels good to be here. Our guard dog, the producer of the show, Olivia, she demanded first thing this morning to get right back in her spot on the broadcast console where she sits right now. If this was a video podcast, you would know for sure that everything is going to go well because Olivia is in sight, and she's producing this show, so it's got to be good. And she gets all the production credit, as she should. (laughs) A five-pound Yorkshire Terrier. Oh, my gosh. What's this world coming to? Well, at least I admit it. Joe won't even admit it. Speaking about Joe, very quietly, you know these things leak out over holiday weekends. We're going to talk in a bit about that State Department release that came out after 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon of a holiday weekend, and purposefully so. They gave us the analysis, their analysis, the Inspector General's analysis of that amazing withdrawal from Afghanistan orchestrated by Joe Biden, in which several hundred people died. Thankfully, most of those were not Americans, but there were at least 13 that died because of Joe Biden's decision to close the air base. Not close it, walk away from it. Do you realize that the bomb at that airport wall in Kabul, the bomb itself was made from explosives that Joe Biden just walked away from Bagram Air Base, 
pulled our military out and just left all of that 80-something billion dollars of equipment and supplies and guns, helicopters, you name it, he left it, included a massive pile of explosives that were traced to that pile of explosives after those 13 American military members were blown up by a suicide bomb. Thank you, Uncle Joe. So what are he and Bayrak doing in the weekend? Listen to this. He came out with something that I, I just had to, I did a double take when I, when I heard it. His administration began on Friday, very quietly, late in the day. They began a process to slash Medicare payments for home health agencies. Now think about that. Home health. That was created, if you remember, because before we had home health, it was adhered to by Medicare and Medicaid. The only way anybody elderly could get any care whatsoever was they had to check into a hospital. It was hellaciously expensive and in most cases unnecessary. And so home health care agencies that had been invented and were doing a great job taking care of patients but also saving in medical expenses, a buttload full of money. Joe, on Friday, now this is Mr. I'm not ever going to touch Medicare. It's those evil Republicans who want to take away your Medicare. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that's the group that controls everything. For short, it's called CMS. They have proposed a rule, not a piece of legislation. Remember, Joe Biden governs with executive action, and one of those executive actions is a rule. If this rule would be confirmed and in, uh, put out in the marketplace, they tell us it would reduce Medicare payments by 2.2% or $375 million bucks in 2024, just that one year. The cut means that home health agencies would have to take a 5.1 decrease of $870 million based on the assumption that the agencies altered their billing and coding activity to maximize reimbursements in 2020 and 2021. Now, who determines in Social Security and Medicare, who determines how much does any healthcare agency, physician, hospital, how much they get paid? The CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Who do they answer to? Congress. So in other words, Joe Biden arbitrarily decided these agencies were paid too much in 2020 and 2021. So I'm not going to Congress. I'm not going back to the people that control all the money after he just got blistered last week when the U.S. Supreme Court told him, you don't have any power or authority over things to do with money. You can't just cancel billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of government debt. People owe us money. You can't do that. It's Congress that has to do that. In fact, Nancy Pelosi herself We played it on Thursday here at TNN Live. She was talking about anybody canceling government debt. She said nobody has that authority. Congress has it. 
So Joe's going to try to slip around and do a rule that's going to take money away from home health services. Now, what is that going to mean for mean for Medicare patients? You're not going to get the immediate service that you need. You're going to be forced, if you are going to get any, that you were formerly able to get through home health. You're going to have to check yourself into a hospital and deal with that just to get the same services you were getting when a nurse would come to wherever it is that you live or you're staying. In 2021, traditional Medicare spent right at $17 billion for home health services, and that was for about 3 million beneficiaries. Nearly 11,500 home health agencies participated in the Medicare program that year. The Partnership for Quality Home Health Care said the cuts would exceed $18 billion over the next 10 years. It comes at a time when the industry faces rising costs, and we have, we saw it in COVID, it's even worse now, a lack of skilled nurses. We just don't have the medical professionals to do without. CMS has made these cuts, assuming it had made $2.1 billion in alleged overpayments. However, the partnership said that CMS is using a flawed methodology to come up with the past overpayment amounts. James Cunningham, he's the CEO of the Home Health Partnership. Here's what he said. The partnership has repeatedly expressed concerns with CMS's actions aimed at cutting Medicare home health reimbursement, primarily because of the serious impacts on access to the home-based care that patients and families overwhelmingly prefer. The home health provider community is gravely concerned that CMS's proposed actions for 2024 will only continue to degrade beneficiary access to home health care services. Now, what is, where, where is this all going? What is this all about? Don't think for a second that any money saved in this is going to go to, oh, I don't know, reduce our debt or put it back in our, uh, in our budget and take something else out. Don't think for a second that's going to happen. You know where it's going to go? It's going to be diverted. Where would it be diverted to? Well, if you can't get the home health care at home, where you got to go to get it? Hospitals. Hey, hey, hey. Not only would hospitals get this financial benefits and this work, it would cost more. Now, who benefits from that? Whoever is getting paid. And it will not be home health care services anymore. Why? Because the lobbyist for the hospital systems around the nation, they're foaming at the mouth at this opportunity to get more money back in for their clients so those clients can pay those lobbyists for the work that they've done. Whenever you have a question about any change in government at all, always look first. Where's the source of the money? And who's going to end up with it by these government changes? It won't be the patients. It won't be the physicians and the skilled nurses. It's going to be the bureaucrats that own these hospitals. And they'll be doing it legally because Joe Biden wants to make it legal. In this Supreme Court mess, let's talk about that for a second. Do we want to? 
Do we have time? I'm waiting for our producer to tell me. Okay, we'll go ahead and launch into it. This Supreme Court stuff that happened last week, boy, it has raised all kinds of furor and uproar. I mean, people from the left are going stark, raving mad. Forget about the fact of what the U.S. Supreme Court constitutionally is supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. Oh, we can't can't even get into that. We have to look at what they call precedent, even when precedent was illegal. I mean, look what happened a year ago. Dobbs basically came out and said something that many of us have known for decades. There is no abortion law in federal law and never has been. How somebody very loosely interpreted that the Roe v. Wade case was legalizing of abortion, I'll never understand because there's nothing in the language in the bill that even says that. Roe v. Wade was about declaring a woman was in control legally of her body. That's all Roe v. Wade was about. And it was very loosely determined by multiple challenges at the Supreme Court that somehow abortion fit in there because, as you know, an abortion has to take place in a woman's body. Oh, you can't say that. (laughs) Men can have babies now. Oh, my gosh, we don't even want to go down that road. More than half of Americans today, half of Americans support the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision a year ago. And nobody wants to talk about this. A majority of us support the Dobbs decision. It overruled Roe v. Wade, and it returned the issue. Here's what people won't say when they go with this. The Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade. They didn't do away with abortion. Abortion wasn't even part of Roe v. Wade. Nor was it part of the Dobbs decision. They sent the adjudication of, is it legal or is it not legal, to be done at the state level. We're a little over a year after the Supreme Court ruled in Dobbs v. Jackson. 52% of likely voters say they approve of that decision, including 37% who strongly approve. 44% disapprove of the decision, including 36% who strongly disagree. Here's the question as it was given. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you verbatim Rasmussen in this poll asked, quote, last year the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision so that each state can now determine its own laws regarding abortion. Do you approve or disapprove of the court overturning Roe v. Wade? That's the exact verbiage of the question Rasmussen asked. When the pollster previously asked Americans this question, 50% said they approved of the ruling. Attitudes towards the Dobb decision very strongly by political party, as you can imagine. I won't even go into the numbers. A strong majority of likely voters, 77%, believe abortion will be an important issue in the upcoming 2024 presidential election. 77%. 
Now, there are a lot of people that have just gone nuts over the Supreme Court decision. One guy that did from California, Ro Khanna. Ro Khanna. Nah, he was talking about the uh, student debt thing. We'll get into that in just a minute. But overall, somebody that just went nuts is radical far-left rep Alejandro Exorci, uh, Ali, Alexandria. Man, I get so mixed up with them. we got Alejandro Mayorkas, <laughs> the Homeland Security Secretary, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, member of Congress, radical far-left member of Congress. She called for Congress. Now think about this. She called for Congress to limit the constitutionality granted powers of the Supreme Court. We don't even have to go any further than that. She wants Congress to limit the constitutionally granted powers of the Supreme Court. First of all, Congress doesn't have the power to do that. It would take amending the Constitution. Now, Congress is a part of that process, but it has to be pushed out to the states, the people's states. AOC was on CNN yesterday. She started by saying the high court's decision to nix Biden's student loan forgiveness plan was wrong because Congress has given the president the authority to cancel student debts, which is a lie. But as we have seen, not just in what we saw rule from the majority, but even in the minority dissent written around these cases, we have justices saying that the Supreme Court is going themselves much too far. AOC is supposedly quoting the justices. They are expanding their role into acting as though they are Congress itself. And that, I believe, is an expansion of power that we really must be focusing on. The danger of this court and the abuse of power in this court, particularly as it, particularly as it is related. She doubled down on that phrase to the entanglements around conflicts of interest as well. Now, I would play that for you, but you'd get nauseated. So when Congress created the several student loan programs, it gave the Department of Education supervisory authority over them, extending to matters such as how debts were to be guaranteed by third-party banks and how disputes could be settled. Congress did not give authority to the department simply to write off the debt. That's according to Chapman University Professor of Law and Economics, Tom Campbell. Next, AOC slammed the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas for his otherwise widely praised ruling. Here's what she said. The part that bothered her read as follows. Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson uses her broad observations about statistical relationships between race and select measures of health, wealth, and well-being to label all blacks as victims. Her desire to do so is unfathomable to me. It's an insult to individual achievement and cancerous to young minds seeking to push through barriers. Their race is not to blame for everything good or bad that is in their lives. The congresswoman felt like it was a personal attack on Brown. I mean, what Justice Clarence Thomas wrote there, I believe, was profoundly disrespectful to his colleague. It includes sweeping assumptions about her worldview, 
Whereas when you look at what the response was from Justice Brown, we saw that her dissent was grounded in fact, she said. It was grounded in the facts of the case, and then she didn't say this, but she meant this. I determined what her intentions were, and Clarence Thomas has no right to do what I'm doing right now when I open my mouth. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's okay for people on the left to do the same thing they accuse people on the right from doing. Why? Because we're Democrats. It didn't disparage Thomas's overall worldview, but as a matter of fact, a nuanced critique of his analysis of the fact of the case. But for him to come out and insinuate that her opinion is due to some sort of inferior or less than, less than really thought out of a stance, I think it's profoundly insulting, she said. Now that's AOC. Anytime anything of import comes out, look for the furthest left opinion that there could possibly be about it. And you can bet it belongs to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Everything. Everything. Now let's let's just, while we're here, I mentioned Ro Khanna a few moments ago when I was talking about the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter to these lefties like AOC or even Ro Khanna, who's a Democrat from California, AOC is a Democrat from New York, our two most liberal states and representatives from those states, all jumping on the Supreme Court. Before you hear from Roe, I want to point something out to you. And nobody's talking about this. On Hannity on Friday, guest host Tammy Bruce, she pointed something out. And that was about Democrats. Now, Tammy Bruce is formally a Democrat. The Democrats did not furiously denounce the Supreme Court, question its legitimacy, or call for packing the court after the court, remember this, rejected a lawsuit against the Biden administration over immigration policy in an 8-to-1 ruling. Now, I wonder why. Why? Well, it's because that ruling, that was right down leftist lines. Fox News contributor and George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, he said, relevant exchanges, these are justices, by the way, on the conservative end of the court that delivered a number of victories to the Biden administration, including a big one where they upheld the immigration policies of the president. They have not hesitated to vote for the president when law and the Constitution were on his side. It wasn't on his side here. He was openly circumventing Congress and using this attenuated argument involving this act. And they were rightfully going to come down on the side of the Constitution. But you now have the same group of court packers saying, we've got to get rid of the court or expand the court in these types of attacks. These justices are trying to get it right, and I think they got a lot right this week, and they also handed down a major free speech victory today, and that case is going to resonate for decades. It was a huge victory for free speech. Of course, he's talking about that uh, uh, Internet site builder from Colorado who refused for religious grounds 
to build a website for people that are same-sex married. Went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the court backed her because of her First Amendment rights. But isn't it interesting? These lefties, they're all in when the court comes out and rules on something and rules in their favor. But don't let that happen on any conservative ideology. Because if they do, they want to start getting rid of these justices and even getting rid of the Supreme Court. So, we know about the student debt thing. Court came down and said Biden doesn't have authority to do that, spend that money. Rokana, he came in talking to Jonathan Carl at ABC News in an interview. And Jonathan Carl, even though he's ABC News and he's a leftist, sometimes he gets something right. Listen to this back and forth. Let me begin by saying I know there are millions of Americans, millions of Americans in this country who feel disappointed and uh, discouraged or even a little bit angry about the court's decision today on student debt. And I must admit I do too. What I did I thought was appropriate and was able to be done and would get done. I didn't give Boris false hope, but the Republicans snatched away the hope. That was President Biden on Friday reacting to the Supreme Court's decision to scrap his student loan plan. We are joined now by Congressman Ro Khanna of California, leading House progressive. Uh, thank you and happy uh, Fourth of July, Congressman Khanna. So we, we've heard from the White House uh, that they are going to now pursue an alternative uh, means of trying to ha- provide some help for people saddled with student debt, working through the Higher Education Act. The president said that's going to take time. Do you think the White House is doing enough? John, I am pleased that the White House is invoking the Higher Education Act. As you know, Justice Roberts explicitly said in the opinion that the opinion has no bearing on the Higher Education Act. I do hope that the White House will make sure that the interest doesn't accrue starting in September. I know the president has said he isn't going to refer students to the credit agency. I also believe under the Higher Education Act, he can stop the interest accrual. Uh, you've called for a total pause in payments, as I understand. Have you expressed that to the White House? I have, uh, John. I mean, you have all of these students who have relied on a promise that they are going to have their student loans forgiven. I had to take out $150,000 of student loans. There were times in my life where I had to have a forbearance. I'm fortunate now and been able to pay them off. But this is a real hardship. And when people out there are saying uh, that they are relying on this, we should at least pause it until that is forgiven, especially when we have a Supreme Court who, in my view, has usurped the authority of Congress. Look, the Congress passed the HEROES Act. If you believe that Congress gave the president too much authority under the HEROES Act, then the solution is Congress can repeal the HEROES Act. But Justice Roberts and his court shouldn't be overturning the will of Congress just because they think Congress gave too much power to the president. But the argument that the court's making is that the HEROES Act does not give the president the authority to rewrite uh, student loans. Uh, In fact, this was a position essentially that was taken uh, by Nancy Pelosi. I know you've called for for the president to to forgive $50,000 in student debt through executive uh, action. Uh, Take a look at what Nancy Pelosi had to say about that just two years ago. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. 
And the Supreme Court decision quoted those words. Speaker Pelosi took that position before the president asked for a legal analysis on the HEROES Act. When you look at the analysis of the HEROES Act, it says specifically that the president and the secretary have the authority to cancel or amend, to, to waive or amend the student loans. There was an analysis done that the secretary has that authority. He has to, over a certain amount, get the uh, approval of the attorney general. And the speaker said after she looked at that legal analysis, it was clear to her that under the HEROES Act, the administration did have that authority. Now, we can have an argument that the HEROES Act passed in 2003 uh, in the wake shortly after 9-11 was way too broad in giving that kind of authority to the president and the secretary. I don't believe it was the case. That's a legitimate argument. The place to make that argument is in the United States Congress. It's not for unelected justices to override what Congress has passed. And that's what this court is doing. It's very dangerous. They are basically reinterpreting congressional statute uh, to fit their ideological preconceptions. And, and Congress, I want to ask you about the, the latest developments in the Hunter Biden case. Uh, as you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the House has, Republicans in the House have released testimony of, of this uh, IRS whistleblower uh, suggesting, saying that he's got uh, evidence uh, that, in fact, the contention that uh, the decisions are being made by the U.S. was being made by the U.S. attorney uh, in Delaware, and not by the attorney general, is not true. That ultimately uh, it was the attorney general, uh, uh, the just main justice, deciding this. Uh, would that? Are you concerned about what, what, what's coming out of this case, John? No. I mean, let's just review the facts here. You had President Trump appoint a U.S. attorney in Delaware, and. President Biden had the ability to fire that U.S. attorney if he wanted, as is customary. The new president comes in, they remove all the U.S. attorneys. President Biden didn't fire the U.S. attorney. He had his past opponents, appointee, have total power over making a decision but, on but, Hunter but, Biden. But the, and but, that U.S. But, sir, the, 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 what the whistleblower is saying is that Weiss, who was appointed by Trump, said that he was not the deciding official on this case. If that turns out to be true, doesn't that directly contradict what the attorney general has said? But Weiss is not saying that. Isn't this the source Weiss? I mean, if, if Weiss was saying that, I would have a concern. If Weiss was out there saying, I, I didn't have total authority, there was interference. But Weiss, Weiss is the, the key person, and he's not saying that. And, uh, and, the, and there were charges that were pursued. Thank you very much for joining us. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Now, you heard Ro Khanna make a false commitment to something that he says is factual. I defy anybody listening. You can go download the Heroes Act. It's not real long. You can go download it. In fact, you can go to Wikipedia if you want to, not only get the Heroes Act, but you can break it apart and they'll tell you the different versions or the different ideas that come from the Heroes Act. There is no place in the HEROES Act that authorizes any president to forgive student debt. The HEROES Act was an emergency economic recovery omnibus emergency solutions act. That's what it's all about. There is nothing in there that says any president has authority from the HEROES Act or any other act, to cancel student debt, period. Oh, by the way, if it happened to be there, 
guess what? The Supreme Court wouldn't have done what they did. (laughs) The fact that they didn't do it tells you it is unconstitutional. Now, speaking of that, you heard Ro Khanna and Jonathan Carl talking about Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, and the conundrum that he faces because of what these whistleblowers are saying behind the scenes, that in sworn testimony, the Attorney General is saying exactly opposite. Not once, not twice, but three different kinds. Somebody's lying. Now, if it's a whistleblower, please know this. These guys are all told before they give their sworn testimony that they're doing so, and if they lie, they're going to be charged with felony perjury. And did you know, even if a sitting attorney general lies lies under oath, committing a felony, hmm, think anything's going to happen to Merrick Garland? Megan Kelly weighs in on that after this. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural juicy grass-fed beef introducing the all-natural burger the first ever in fast food with no antibiotics no added hormones and no steroids only at carl's jr so you guys grew up together yes since third grade what are you looking at i'm not looking at it we're not good enough for you you look for something else no i don't know what are you big supermodels supermodels what do you model what are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies, so losers. Stacy, relax. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Think about Megan Kelly. Remember her? She was a long timer, had a nighttime show 
one of the uh, evening talk shows on Fox News, and she left because of a disagreement with the former chairman of uh, Fox News. She went dark for a while after her NBC gig that they uh, hired her to do, paid her $20 million to do it. It drew no ratings whatsoever, and I think it probably had something to do with Megyn Kelly and her conservative slant. All that being said, Rick Grinnell, former DNI, Depart- uh, head of the Department of National Intelligence, they had a conversation about this. Merrick Garland, Attorney General, in this back and forth about the whistleblowers and the authority that they said federal just judges, they being Merrick Garland in sworn testimony, that these federal uh, federal lawyers, prosecutors, that were investigating Hunter Biden, different states around the nation, that they had the full authority, Department of Justice had given them full authority to prosecute anybody that came out that needed to be prosecuted in the states where the action took place. Only to be told later, according to the whistleblower testimony, that they could not do that that it all had to come through Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland had said under oath it did not have to. So according to the whistleblowers, Weiss, the federal attorney in Delaware, couldn't get authority to prosecute Hunter Biden in another state. Anyway, Kelly and DNI director formerly, Richard Grinnell, weighed in on this. So... The whistleblower comes forward and says they tied this guy's hands. Merrick Garland was tying this guy's hands. And then you have Merrick Garland coming out and saying, that's a lie. He told Congress under oath in March, Merrick Garland did, that he had empowered David Weiss to do everything and anything. Here's that testimony. It's important because it's under oath and it's probably going to come back to haunt him. Here's Merrick Garland in March. This indicate that the Justice Department and the FBI had at one time over a dozen sources that provided potentially criminal information relating to Hunter Biden. Um, So as the committee well knows from my confirmation hearing, I I promised to leave the matter of Hunter Biden in the hands of the U.S. Attorney uh, for the District of Delaware who was appointed uh, in the previous administration. So any information like that should have gone uh, or should or should have uh, gone to that U.S. Attorney's offices and the FBI squad that's working uh, with him. I have pledged not to interfere uh, with that investigation, and I uh, have carried through on my pledge. I pledge not to interfere. Now, that is not at all what the whistleblower is saying happened here. He's saying that David Weiss was shut down at every turn by Merrick Garland's U.S. attorneys and other jurisdictions saying, I'm not touching it. I won't do it. And that, that stopped the investigation, among other ways in which he alleges Merrick Garland interfered. Here's the second thing. Merrick Garland comes out on Friday to respond to the whistleblower. And here's what he said. Mr. Weiss, who was appointed by President Trump as the U.S. attorney in Delaware and assigned this matter during the previous administration, would be permitted to continue his investigation and to make a decision to prosecute any way in which he wanted to, and in any district in which he wanted to. The only person with authority to make somebody a special counsel or refuse to make somebody a special counsel is the attorney general. 
Mr. Weiss never made that request to me. The whistleblower alleges the opposite, that Weiss told him he had asked to be labeled special counsel so he could just bring the charges everywhere, wouldn't be limited to Delaware, and that Merrick Garland denied the request. There's a clear divergence between what the whistleblower is saying, what Merrick Garland's saying, and the New York Times is now uh, reporting that uh, they too can confirm this IRS investigator's testimony uh, is absolutely at odds with what Merrick Garland said. They've done their own investigations um, of the whistleblower's claims and also confirming here that David Weiss uh, went to at least two other U.S. attorneys, one in California, one in Washington, asking if they would bring charges that they would help with the investigation against Hunter and he was turned down. So what happens now? Because there's been talk by Kevin McCarthy of possible impeachment proceedings against Merrick Garland. Um, And I'll tee up one other soundbite for you, Rick. And that is Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, who went so far as to say if this whistleblower's claims are actually true and the New York Times now advancing it saying we we see the same divergence in testimonials here, um, there should be absolute penalties to Merrick Garland. Here's Ted Cruz a couple days ago. Every word he said there is a lie and the self-righteousness with which he says it. Ben, I got to say it's time. It is time. The Department of Justice needs to appoint a special counsel to investigate Merrick Garland for obstruction of justice and perjury. Wow. There's a reason he's saying, don't ask these questions. Let's be clear, it is his integrity. And I wanna walk through it because that is a very serious state statement. But at this point, the evidence that Merrick Garland personally committed multiple felonies is growing greater and greater. And the chances that the Merrick Garland Justice Department will fairly investigate evidence of his wrongdoing are zero. Wow. Asking for criminal charges, saying we need a special counsel to investigate the Attorney General of the United States for crimes, including obstruction of justice and perjury in connection with this case. So what do you make of all of it? Well, first of all, two quick points. One, thanks for uh, Senator Grassley and his team. They are phenomenal. They are digging deep. I know personally that they are doing really good detailed work before they come out with charges. So thanks to them. Secondly, I'm really struck, Megan, with, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the two uh, tiers of justice, uh, this two standards of justice in Washington, D.C. But I'm struck with the, the two differences in how leaks happen in Washington, Mm D.C. Look what CNN did all day yesterday. We don't even know uh, what the outcome of this Donald Trump investigation is on uh, the classified information uh, charges. But they're already leaking before we have any charges, before the finality. They are leaking information. CNN seems to get it all the time. Uh, to kind of spin before we let the justice kind of system uh, move forward. Contrary to that, you got to give it to this whistleblower. He waited. He waited until the charges were filed. He waited to see. uh, He didn't try to weigh in beforehand and, and push the process. He did exactly 
what he's supposed to do, which is become a whistleblower after there is an outcome that seems to be a problem. He didn't go out and leak beforehand. I think we've got to ask ourselves, why are leaks in Washington, D.C. from the bureaucracy always trying to slam against uh, Republicans before justice is delivered or before what seems to be the process is finished? Isn't it interesting that there are so many people in the Biden administration that they do their jobs and they do so with impunity, telling the truth and giving the facts. And even under oath, the Attorney General of the United States, he's saying things under oath that directly contradict not one person, not even two but multiple people that were part of those conversations in which Merrick Garland promised that David Weiss would have unfettered authority to charge Hunter Biden or anybody, anybody else in this case, in the state in which this attorney is not in residence there. And so that's exactly what Weiss did. He needed to get the California attorney to file charges. And the California attorney said no. Well, Mayor Garland had already said publicly under oath that he could do that. Weiss could do that. And now Weiss is coming out and saying, no, he never told me that. But people, multiple people heard that happen. Lying with impunity. Does that sound a bit familiar? We've seen that multiple times in the Biden administration. We often saw it in the Obama administration. Now, make no mistake about it. People tell stories. People lie, and it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat. It happens. Let me give you another conundrum. Republicans are upset about something that happened in Department of Defense stuff. Based on some newly revealed evidence, Republicans are now questioning the DOD Office of Inspector General, April 2020, a finding there that a former senior defense official named Sally Donnelly did not engage in ethical misconduct by allegedly trying to steer a big-time government contract to Amazon. In other words, she did it. She was in the government and she put this big contract, threw it over to Amazon. And then the OIG said, ah, there's no problem with that. So now that Republicans are in control of the House, they're reviewing the DOD's OIG's conclusion, which leaves the former official in a position to continue pursuing lucrative contracts. Guess who? For Amazon, with the Department of Defense, as well as to sit on a key DOD business advisory board. House Speaker McCarthy, he previewed their efforts in an exclusive interview with Bart, and he said this, quote, there are a number of members that have been looking into this contract, how the contract was made, is there any illegal activity done within there, and I think more of that's going to come to light. Now, he said that back in March. Representative Nancy Mace, a Republican firebrand from South Carolina, 
She sits on the Oversight and Accountability Committee. She's one of the members that are digging into the details of this. The conflict of interest there is major, she said. This is a what-the-F moment, as I told you. Nancy Mace is a firebrand. So let, let, let me just give you a little background. The DODOIG investigation was about allegations that Donnelly and her allies, as far back as 2017, improperly used their positions within the Department of Defense to try to get a multi-billion dollar information technology contract to Amazon. Donnelly served as a top advisor to then Defense Secretary James Mattis between 2017 and 18. While she was there, she arranged several meetings between Mattis and her former consulting firm clients, which included Amazon Web Services. That's according to emails contained through FOIA litigation and previously reported by Breitbart. At the time, AWS was vying for a big contract known as Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, which would provide DOD with a single cloud infrastructure and cloud services. Her activity, among others, raised suspicions of ethical misconduct, and after the contract appeared poised to be awarded to Amazon, House Republicans requested for the OIG to look at it, find out, is it legit? So at the the very middle of this investigation was whether or not Donnelly had followed federal ethics regulations. So I don't want to belabor this, but what were the regulations about that she supposedly messed with? One of those requires government officials to recuse themselves for a year from covered relationships. Now, one of those relationships with people or companies who were sources of income previously. So Donnelly, that would have included her former consulting clients, Amazon and C5, a British-based venture capital firm owned by CEO and founder Andre Pinar. In March of 2017, Donnelly arranged a private dinner with Secretary of Defense Mattis at an exclusive London venue that included Pinar and an Amazon executive named Teresa Carlson. Ooh, we got the conflict going on here. During that dinner, Carlson pitched a meeting within Amazon Chief Jeff Bezos to Defense Secretary Mattis. After the dinner, Donnelly approved a phone call between Mattis and Bezos. Donnelly would also later give Amazon employee guidance on how to speak to Mattis about Amazon cloud services during a visit by Mattis to guess where? Amazon's headquarters in the summer of 2017. She also organized a subsequent dinner between Mattis and Bezos. Those meetings occurred while Amazon was seeking to land that massive DOD cloud contract. So at the time of this London dinner, Donnelly was late in filing her mandatory ethics disclosure form. Hmm. Form is critical to helping ethics officials identify covered relationships and thus potential conflicts of interest. Although the form is due 30 days after you get a government employment, she would not file hers until May 17th of 2017. 
So, this all smells to high heaven. What's going to happen, if anything? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about the federal government. Oh, my gosh. We're talking about the politicization of everything, the weaponizing of everything, pointing towards one thing. Follow the money. Donnelly's making a bunch of bucks, and it was because of her previous relationships that she did not disclose legally before these deals and these dinners, which are all targeted toward what? These deals. I mean, getting a massive multi-billion dollar contract with Amazon, can you imagine the payback that would come from that? That kind of crap happens every day. And typically, we don't know anything about them. But we do know they're happening every day. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider! The beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless leaf blower. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for the facts to come out about this withdrawal from Afghanistan. Nothing I have ever seen happen by any presidential administration has been as screwed up as what we saw when Joe Biden arbitrarily, unilaterally just pulled us out of Afghanistan. And when I say pulled us out, it looked to me And it seemed to most of the people that were involved in the process, there was no planned pullout. 
And so we were told, oh, the OIG is going to take a look at it and give us a report. Well, the report came out. Well, it didn't come out. It was finished a year ago. And just out of the clear blue on Friday afternoon before a long July 4th weekend, guess what? The State Department released it. And so on Friday, CNN News Central, CNN's national security correspondent, Kylie Atwood, said the State Department waited a year to release its report on the withdrawal from Afghanistan and doesn't want all of its failures with this withdrawal really dragged through Washington and set up at a moment when Congress is in session, they might face more criticism. And so Congress is not in session this week. And there's a holiday weekend, so most people like you, maybe not you, but people that, you know, you're going to be off or you're going to be otherwise have your attention elsewhere during a long weekend, and they could say, oh, we put the report out. Adwood said, it's, a, it's lost on no one that this report not only is rolled out on a Friday before a holiday weekend, but it's being rolled out more than a year after the report was concluded. So they waited more than a year to give us the information. They're waiting until a Friday. What the senior State Department officials said on that call is that they weren't going to get into process-related questions. Yeah, right. But clearly folks in this building see that timing and they're concerned about them trying to really hide the fact that the department doesn't want all of its failures with this withdrawal really dragged through Washington and set up at a moment when Congress is in session. It might come with some uh, more criticism if they did. So let's talk about what's in it. They did not have clarity. This is the part in this report that every American needs to understand. The Biden administration did not have clarity on who was in charge of coordinating that role in the Afghanistan withdrawal in 2021. The report says nobody knew who was in charge. Did you get that? Pretty big deal to walk away from Bagram Air Base and almost $100 billion in military equipment and supplies. And we have thousands of people that have been working with us in every area, militarily, intelligence. A lot of those were Afghani natives. And we had made a deal with every one of them for them and their families. They would not be left in Afghanistan. We had thousands of Americans that were living there, working there. Our government, the Biden administration, had guaranteed they would not be left there. And here we are, and there are still a bunch of those people that are hiding in Afghanistan because what? Nobody knew who was in charge, and so they just started pulling all of our equipment and military members just, hey, y'all go home. Now, the State Department, oh, by the way, it's a Joe Biden State Department. They created an after-action review team, and that team found fault with both the Biden and the Trump administrations 
for contributing to the chaos of the August 2021 military withdrawal, left the Afghan government vulnerable to collapse and contributed to a massive effort to evacuate thousands of us, Americans, and our allies afterwards. Now, the U.S. military had contingency planning for an evacuation of Kabul in place, had been for some time ahead of when the withdrawal was ordered in August of 2021. The State Department's participation in the operation was hindered, we are told, by the fact that it was unclear to everybody who in the State Department had the lead. Now, I don't know about you. In my company, blame flows up. It doesn't matter how big, how bad, how, how wide, and how much of a problem there is in the company or in the entity. If it's mishandled, somebody at the top did not provide the information and all of the resources necessary to get done what had to be gotten done that didn't get done, or some underling didn't do what they were supposed to do. And even if that's the case, somebody in management should have seen to it that it was done. And that didn't happen, obviously, in our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Investigators interviewed more than 150 current and former State Department officials that were involved in this investigation. Uh, Their identities are concealed in the 21-page unredacted version confirming what many folks, Republicans and Democrats alike, perceived to be a, they called it a debacle. I can come up with a term that's a little more terse and nasty than that, but I won't. So in the course of the EVAC, a terrorist suicide bombing killed 13 American troops. Oh, by the way, about 170 civilians and a misguided U.S. drone strike killed 10 civilians. The Biden administration failed to mobilize and position personnel required to conduct this smooth evacuation, in part due to a lack of experienced senior leadership and coordination between last-minute task force structures established throughout the department. That's according to the report. Now remember, they're writing a report about themselves. There was an insufficient senior-level consideration of worst-case Scenarios. This is from the report. Gave no blame to any one individual. And of course, they wouldn't be. Everybody's doing CYA, cover your ASS. After Biden decided in April of 2020 to proceed with the Trump administration's withdrawal plan by a new deadline of September 11th, the military hours moved swiftly to protect American troops. The Pentagon's actions constricted evacuation operations to Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul. The administration thought to establish a stay-behind force to ensure critical security, but they didn't finalize plans by the time of the withdrawal. (laughs) They said, we're going to send a group behind to make sure we've got critical security, but they didn't even finalize the plans, let alone have the people in place. State Department leaders ignored warnings from some that evacuation planning should be conducted with more urgency, even as the Taliban closed in. Now, here's where the Trump uh, criticization happened. 
The Trump administration, they say, the report says, for a relative lack of interagency process in the Trump administration and the intense interagency process that characterized the initial period of the Biden administration. Now, I've read this paragraph five times. It has no context. It has no specifics. It's like, we didn't do it bad by ourselves. Trump was doing it bad too. Isn't that like Democrats, any administration that comes in, everything good that happened in the previous administration, which always has been a Republican administration, anything good that happened, oh, that's because of what we did. But anything and everything bad that happens or good things that don't happen in the new Democrat administration, even as long as it lasts, years later, anything bad, it's those evil Republicans. They just didn't take care of business. By the time of this evacuation, officials hadn't determined how many Afghans considered at risk of persecution from the Taliban would be included. What we do know is they guaranteed everybody was going to be taken care of. Constantly changing guidance from Washington further impeded efforts to airlift 125,000 Americans and Afghan partners after the capital city fell. This is from the report. What this report reveals is that in crises that are longer duration, that are particularly complicated, that occur at a large scale, that impact populations well beyond the official American community, we haven't over time had the appropriate structure and resources available to provide that foundation, a steady, constant set of capabilities that we can draw on when we're suddenly confronting something at scale. That came from a senior State Department official speaking to reporters on condition of anonymity. That's the only statement in this whole report that makes sense. They didn't have a plan. They did not use the plan that had been written, devised, and revised multiple times, we now know, during the Trump administration. And the number one thing was they were not going to abandon Bagram Air Base. Now, that sounds like no big deal. Well, it was the closest that we could get militarily to our biggest foe on the planet, which is China. Oh, and by the way, when the Biden administration just walked out of Bagram Air Base and left all that military equipment, billions and billions of dollars and munitions and all kinds of stuff. Guess who moved in there shortly thereafter? communist Chinese government. And what did they do? They moved their operations of mining precious metals that the Afghans had been mining and we had been buying them for a number of years. Precious metals. You know, what are you talking about precious metals? Well, it's those things that are necessary. You got to have them. You got to have them. There's no question about it. You got to have precious metals to make batteries and solar panels. And we just gave the Chinese government a 
real nice air base. And I'm sure they got a bunch of that equipment we left behind. And they have access to the number one source on the planet of those precious metals that are necessary to be in batteries, car batteries, and solar panels. And Joe Biden tells us we're bringing manufacturing back to the United States while he's giving it away still to the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... with Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with gecko, so... What? What did I say? Gecko. I said gecko. Oh. For over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> For over 75. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Got some big news today. And I want you to listen very closely to this. Tomorrow's July 4th, Independence Day. We will not have a TNN live show. Now, a lot of people will be upset because, as you know, every week, Steve Baker joins us, our very own investigative journalist from Washington, D.C., North Carolina. He's a real investigator. He's normally with us in our second hour every Tuesday. Besides the fact that we're not having a show tomorrow, let me tell you what's going on. Later this week, I don't know what day, Steve will be with us. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. This may be the most important thing you hear at TNN Live for a while. Steve is in the middle and will break here on air at TNN Live the most controversial and critical happening in the government of the United States in Washington, D.C. that probably there are only two or three things that have been bigger news and more important information. This whole thing will dwarf 
Watergate. It may not dwarf the problem and the deaths of those 3,000 Americans on 9-11. But throw out those deaths and throw in the political ramifications. This will eclipse that part of 9-11 and pretty much everything that has happened since. Wow, that's a big, bold commitment, Dan. I'm telling you, it has actually been worked on for months now. It is finished, and there are people in the U.S. Congress, many of them, most of them, if not all of them, as of this moment, don't know what's coming out this week, nor does anybody at the White House. So you keep listening, as you do anyway. And this is going to come later this week, sometime before the weekend. He's going to be here with us live, and he's going to roll this out. It will blow your mind. I got the bullet points of it yesterday in a telephone conversation the previous day when I was coming back from our trip to St. Simon Island in Georgia. I got a bunch of inside on the telephone with with Steve. We couldn't go into details because it had to be on a secure line driving through <laughs> Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana on a cell phone line is <laughs> not secure. I got back to the studio and we broke it down late yesterday. I never tell you stuff like this. I never blow it up big. I don't want to dramatize it, but it's one of the, if not the most important things you'll ever hear at TNN Live. So what you may want to do is you may want to let a few people around you know this is pending. And we'll give you, hopefully I can give you a 24-hour tease as to the day and the time he's going to be here. If it takes a whole show, whatever day it is, it's going to be worth it. It'll change. It will, listen to what I'm going to say right now. This will change at least, I'm trying to be careful when I say this, It's going to change the perception that Americans have about our Justice Department and about our executive branch. Hmm. That's all I can tell you. But I'll keep you posted. I certainly will. Tucker Carlson, not any big news. But Tucker came out over the weekend and he did something that he hasn't done since he left Fox News and he's doing his Tucker on Twitter every few days releasing about a 10 or 12 minute item. He came out and he weighed in with some news and information and some facts about somebody that is very controversial in the Biden administration, Rachel Levine, Rachel Levine. You pretty much know who she is. You'll know a little bit more about her and her past and why and where she is today after you hear Tucker explain. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. Belmont Hill is a small private school outside of Boston. It's not famous for its athletics. The school's mascot isn't even an animal. It's an 18th century navigational tool. The Belmont Hill sextants doesn't even make sense. So when it comes to sports, Belmont Hill is not trying very hard. 
But the school's athletic program can claim at least one important footnote to history. In 1975, its football roster contained two names that you will recognize even now, Mark Milley and Richard Levine. Milley is now the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Levine, of course, is our country's most famous admiral. Both transitioned late in life into overweight middle-aged women. Both wound up working as high-level officials in the Joe Biden administration. Their teammates at the all-boys school in Boston probably wouldn't have predicted any of that. Here's what Rick Levine looks like now from a video he just posted on Instagram. Hello, my name is Admiral Rachel Levine, and I have the honor of being the Assistant Secretary for Health at the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Happy Pride. Happy Pride Month. And actually, let's declare it a summer of pride. Happy Summer of Pride. Happy Summer of Pride! Rick Levine is so darn proud, he'd like to tell you about it all summer and possibly into the fall. He's got a lot to be proud of. What specifically, you ask? Well, strangely, he doesn't say, nor does he mention his former wife or children. He doesn't tell us whether they're proud too. Since none of them have been invited onto the Today Show to talk about their feelings, we're gonna have to guess. For now, we're gonna assume that his former family is proud, and why wouldn't they be? Few Americans in our history has come as far as Rick Levine. Here's a fat guy in a Halloween costume who somehow became a federal health minister. Not a small thing, you try that. Not too long ago, this same man was a married pediatrician with kids lecturing about eating disorders at Penn State. Now he's emerged as a path-breaking lady admiral with medals on his chest. And he did all of that without winning a single naval battle or even being female. It's pretty inspiring. What we have here is living proof that in this country, you really can be whatever you want to be. If Rick Levine can become Admiral Rachel, why can't you be Napoleon or Lord Mountbatten, the last Viceroy of India? Ever see that guy's uniform? Or why not Shaka, the legendary Zulu war chief? You could bring your assegai and leopard hide shield to work at Deloitte and no one would be allowed to say a word about it. The HR department would have your back. Unfortunately, you can't actually do any of that. The point of Rick Levine's amazing transformation is not to free you from the inflexible husk that you were born in so that you can be more fully yourself, whatever you decide that is. No, that's not the point. Rick Levine's personal journey has nothing to do with you. It's about him, it's his journey. Your fantasies about becoming something totally new and different have not been approved yet. In fact, they're weird. Shaka, the Zulu war king, come on, that's racist. Shut up and be proud of Admiral Rachel. I, Rachel L. Levine. She's the one who has smashed glass ceilings. You just got some kind of weird fetish. So actually, now that we're saying this out loud, it's pretty clear that Rick Levine has no interest in liberating you from anything. This is not about liberation. It's just the opposite. It's just another religious war, same as all the others. The people who think they're God versus everybody else. In primitive civilizations, which would include every civilization since the beginning of time until ours, people assumed there were rules, rules that no human being made, but that people could ignore only at their peril, at great risk. Some called these rules nature, or natural law, or even as societies advanced, theology. But most of the time, people didn't call them anything. They didn't have to. There wasn't a debate about whether the rules were real. People assumed there were consequences to pretending that you were God. They thought Sodom and Gomorrah were real places. They were destroyed for disobedience. They imagined the same thing could happen to them. Not anymore. Rick Levine doesn't worry about being punished by forces he can't see. 
He knows he's in charge. He makes the rules. He sets the limits. Reality is what he says it is. That's his view, and he shares it with virtually everybody else in a position of authority in the United States. That's a pretty bold bet, really. For seven million years, human beings have believed one thing, presumably based on some evidence. Around 2015, they became convinced of something completely different. Are they right? It feels like we're going to find out soon. Hmm. So you just heard about Rachel Levine. You want to hear about another Rachel? Another person in government? This one's in the U.S. Army. Well, meet U.S. Army Major Rachel Jones, a biological man who not only purports to be a woman, but is now being a celebrant of such. The U.S. Army Sustainment Commander Cyber Division Chief, G6 Information Management, struggled with depression and suicidal ideation for most of her life. Today, she is living her truth and is no longer battling depression or suicidal thoughts. That's a profile of him published last month by the U.S. Army. Notice the use of female pronouns. Jones went viral on Twitter last week after the Army uploaded a video showing him speaking about the alleged importance of Pride Month. Here's what Here's what was said in that tweet. Trans Army Major discusses LGBTQ pride and diversity in the military. This was posted to the IG account of the U.S. Army Sustainment Command. The world is laughing at us. Hi, I'm Major Rachel Jones, it says. And what pride means to me is celebrating that diversity is our strength as a nation And as an army, he said in the video, pride means something very special to me as an LGBT individual, and it's a chance to show everybody what we have to offer in terms of the diverse skill sets that we bring and the diverse ways of thinking that we bring into the team to make everything work better, he added. People like him believe that racial and sexual orientation diversity make companies and groups and whatever else more productive. And there may be some truth to this. Researchers have found that it leads to higher quality work, better decision-making, greater team satisfaction, and more equality under certain circumstances. That's according to the Harvard Business Review. But like everything else, it's not perfect. Having people from various identity groups at the table at the table is no guarantee that anything will get better. In fact, research shows that things most of the time get worse because increasing diversity can increase tensions and conflict. It especially doesn't help critics argue when diversity is coupled with delusion, like the delusion of believing one is of the opposite sex. This they maintain, holds especially true for the military. Dovetailing back to the U.S. Army profile of Jones, it says that he grew up depressed. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric. 
I don't think many people meant to do that, but it's something I heard as I was growing up repeatedly. He's speaking to the U.S. Army in general, the Army. So much so that I was convinced I was inherently evil for being transgender. The pressure of hiding all of the time was so bad I grew up depressed and suicidal to the point that I always had a plan to end my life. Most people would likely understand this sentiment, right? Yeah, I could get why he would feel that way, but what Jones said next was pretty troubling. Quote, even when deployed, the greatest threat to my own safety was me. Think about that. A U.S. Army member overseas defending the interest of America and its allies. Is it appropriate for that soldier to be in such a state of mental disrepair that he or she is suicidal? Most people would say no. This man who calls himself Major Rachel Jones is a security risk. He has a documented history of depression and suicidal thoughts, yet he manages a major Pentagon computer system. Gee, what could possibly go wrong? Does anybody remember Bradley Manning? What if Rachel snaps? Things allegedly eventually got better for Jones when, when on a six-month assignment away from home, he decided to seek therapy. Since getting into therapy, I was able to detangle my feelings about being transgender and disconnect it with being evil and the suffocating shame. I started to accept and love myself. He wrote that to the Army. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. And just because you think something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. It's a process. And when you come to something like this, here's the part that these promoters out there that are promoting trans people for every position in every entity whatsoever, but especially in our military, there are some real negatives that come along with that. And those negatives have the potential of meaning in massive loss of life for other people in the military, and imagine a combat situation. Here's somebody that supposedly has got their stuff together now, but when in the military, when deployed overseas, felt like committing suicide and was never very far away from doing just that. Imagine that being in a combat situation. How would that impact? How would that impact them and those around them? Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full... Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. 
BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better. Somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. While we're talking about the military, something else has popped up that's coming out of the Supreme Court ruling that barred universities from considering an applicant's race in admission decisions. You know, it happened last week, a 6-3 majority of Supreme Court justices in the Harvard and University of North Carolina versus Students for Fair Admissions found that the way they prioritized applicants of certain racial categories in those admissions violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, overruling a prior decision that allowed universities to consider race. Those justices, six of them, deferred weighing in on the ruling significance for military academies. Nobody talks about this yet. Opening the door for likely successful equal protection lawsuits against the academies as the Department of Defense seeks to increase racial diversity among commissioning officers, legal and military experts are saying, and this is a really big deal, any DOD spin claiming that the court has decided not to apply the ruling to the service academies and therefore discriminatory practices at the service academies may continue would be disingenuous at best and without credible support. That's from Elaine Donnelly, founder and president of the Center for Military Readiness. But the court did not consider any cases in this decision involving the military, opting instead to leave out the question of racial preference in service academies' admission decisions because of the potentially distinct interests they might hold. That's according to the opinion. No military academy is a party to these cases, however, and none of the courts below address the propriety of race-based admission 
systems in that context. That's from Chief Justice John Roberts. He wrote that in a footnote to the majority opinion. This opinion also does not address the issue, he added, in light of the potentially distinct interests that military academies may present. So this is important. The Supreme Court did not affirm service academies' race-preferred admission policies or say that the Equal Protection Clause does not apply to the military. Rather, because the DOD was not included in the litigation, the court could not decide whether the military actually has distinct interests that meet the strict requirements for an exemption. The question is not whether the Equal Production Clause applies to admission policies at the service academies, but how do the uniquely military interests involved influence the application of the Equal Protection Clause in that setting? That's from retired law professor and Army Colonel William Woodruff explained constitutional rights apply in the military too. 35 former Pentagon officials, including four former chairmen of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, submitted a brief in support of the respondents, Harvard and UNC, anticipating the effect the case might have on military academies. They argued that taking race out of the admissions equation would impede our military's ability to acquire essential entry-level leadership attributes and training essential to cohesion. Nobody thought this was going to be a product of this whole Supreme Court thing. But look, affirmative action, that's the whole situation here. You know long how long affirmative action has been going on When that whole rule came out years ago, immediately it was known it was going to split right down to the middle. It was going to create as many problems as it solved in female racial diversity. All of those things rolled into one. It was going to create a firestorm of litigation and uh, political problems that we would never solve. We're decades later. And just last week, the Supreme Court came out and made an affirmative action ruling against using that in college admissions. It makes you wonder, was this wrong to do in the first place? That's a loaded question, and I know that. And I don't have the answer. But if we go down this road, it is going to get awfully ugly and get ugly very quickly. I want to circle back, Jen Psaki's term. I want to circle back to something that uh, we haven't talked about today. What could we possibly have that we haven't talked about today? Reparations. And just like when we talk about affirmative action, when I say affirmative action, A lot of people go, oh, crap, here it comes. And when I say reparations, the same people are saying, oh, crap, here it comes. You're not going to hear anything from me. I want you to listen to an African-American man, an African-American man who just happens to be in his first political position, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, 
Mark Robinson, African-American adult, grew up in the South. He probably has more of a right to talk about reparations than I do, not just because I'm a fat, bald, southern white man that has an earring in his left ear, but just because Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a black man, and he lives in the South, and he, because of living in the South, being black, he knows more about reparations than I could ever. North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. There are some people that were talking about reparations in this country. They wanted reparations. And I remember I made this particular liberal so angry at me because I told them right to their face, nobody owes you anything for slavery. If you want to tell the truth about it, it is you who owes. It's you who owes. Why do you owe? Because somebody in those fields took stripes for you. Somebody after those fields were ended and slavery was ended. Somebody had to walk through Jim Crow for you. Somebody fought wars and died for you. Somebody lived less than because they didn't have what you have and they did it for you. There are people in their graves right now. And they are there because they were willing to stand up and fight for you. Those folks on the Edmund Pettus Bridge carrying American flags, take that Colin Kaepernick, living in a society that he could scarcely acknowledge, something that he has never known, living with a bigotry that none of us can imagine, carried American flags on that bridge. And when they were hit upside the head with nightsticks and shot with water hoses and knocked to the ground, they got up and picked those flags up and kept marching. And they did it for you. Nobody owes you anything. If anybody owes, it's you. Because you've been the benefactor of freedom. You are the one that owes. And what do you owe? You owe it to them to get up off your tail and get to school. And when you get to school, you owe it to them to get up off your tail at school and get to work and get some learning in your head. And once you get that schooling in your head and get out of that school, you owe it to them to get to work. And then when you get to work and you get married, you owe it to them to take care of your children and not let the government take care of your children. It's you who owe. Nobody owes you a single solitary thing. That's not me. That's North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson an African-American man, and that's his first office to hold in political service. Couldn't get away today without reporting about this. A recent in-depth report for the New York Times profiled Hunter Biden's former lover, London Roberts, and her quest to reach a child support settlement for their daughter, Navy Joan. The report confirmed the pair's daughter will not be taking the Biden surname, which Hunter's legal team requested, and also confirmed that Roberts will be taking some of Hunter's paintings, which have gone for a price tag of $500,000 as part of the settlement. I've seen the paintings. Ain't a single one of them worth half a million dollars. 
Multiple times it's been reported the Biden White House has routinely, routinely ignored the president's granddaughter by saying he has six grandchildren instead of seven. The New York Times confirmed that the president's aides were officially instructed to ignore his seventh grandchild. His public image is centered around his devotion to family, including to Hunter, his only surviving son. In strategy meetings recently, aides have been told that the Bidens have six, not seven, grandchildren, according to two people who were parts of these discussions. Let me just say this. This whole revelation, it's just lit up the internet. Outrage unfathomable online. Conservatives claiming the president abandoned his granddaughter and did so for political purposes. The New York Times even went as far as to acknowledge the president's treatment of Navy Joan could potentially cost him votes in 2024. How? How can a grandfather, any grandfather, I don't care who you are, ignore a grandchild? Oh, my gosh. I don't care the circumstances. That's your grandbaby, Joe. Get a pair. Maybe let Jill give you yours for a while. But do the right thing. Do the right thing. That's a wrap on today's show. A reminder, no TNN Live show tomorrow. None tomorrow. You have a great July 4th. We'll be back Wednesday morning. Why'd you tell me this? Why'd you look for my reaction? What do you need to know? Don't you know? I'll own.